The Right Hook Podcast. With the Mitsubishi Commercial Range, Pajero Executive, Pajero Commercial, Outlander Business and new L200. All with a leading five-year commercial warranty. MitsubishiMotors.ie Hi there. George Hook here with The Right Hook on News Talk Tuesday's version. And if there are things you missed on the show, or indeed if you missed the show in its entirety, here are some of the highlights. I'm joined now by the columnist with the Irish Times, Fintan O'Toole, um, because uh, this morning he wrote, overwhelming optimism with no basis is the language of many of our new politicians, and it's winning them supporters and votes. Uh, you're worried about new politics and new politicians then, Fintan O'Toole? Good evening, George. Um, well, you know, it, I think it's pretty clear that we, we've had, um, I think if you look at what's happened with, with Trump in the United States and you look at what happens with the Brexit campaign, uh, you know, there, there's a, a kind of a reactionary movement going on which is based on exploiting uh, people's despair. You know, and the despair is real. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not at all suggesting that it's not. I mean, there's a lot of people who are... Uh, really fearful about their about their futures. They're fearful about the futures of their families. Uh, you know, they, they, they've experienced a loss of community, a loss of purpose, uh, and they're vulnerable. I suppose to people coming along saying, in some sort of magical way, it's all going to but, be great. Yeah. It's all going to be wonderful. Just vote for me. Just do this, and everything is going to be great. And I'm really optimistic about the future, and it's all terrific. It's a it's a false hope, but I call it today as hopeitude. You know, it's 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 not actual hope. It's it's a sort of zero calorie version of hope. But do you not think we led the charge on this, where we said you don't have to pay for water and you don't have to pay for rubbish and um, you know you don't you don't when you're in government you don't have to agree with the, your your fellow cabinet members. Do you not think that's why there was such an enormous vote for independence in this country because they were able to make promises without ever having to live up to them? Yeah, you know, I mean, real politics is about choices, and it's about actually trying to um, engage with the fact that people have reasons to be angry and have reasons to be despairing. You know, it's so so. It's not about telling everybody, "Shut up and go away." It's all okay. I mean, what what really serious political movements should do is engage with the emotions that people are feeling, but then attempt to put some kind of rational shape on them. And, and actually say, okay, this is how you, we can get out of this hole. This is how we can get out of this mess. This is, this is, these are the kind of choices that we have to make. Now, I think what we've seen um, across the Western world is the kind of hollowing out of democracy. You know, so people are, you know, I mean, you and I, unfortunately, George, are old enough to remember when, you know, political parties were huge organizations, you know. But the, the very fact that they were talking, if you think about the Tory party this week, when they were going to have a, an election, they were talking about 150,000 people. I mean, it's tiny. You know, the, the Tory party used to have 10 times that number of members. It used to have like one, one, one and a half million members easily. The Labour Party used to have two million members. These were big organisations. And we've seen a hollowing out because those, those parties have lost their purpose. We've seen that people uh, don't really engage actively in politics in the way that they used to in the past. Those kind of big movements are gone. So what you get then is, is you get this sort of um, very... Um, temporary kind of relationship. So politicians can build a very temporary relationship with people and say, well, look, uh, you know, I will tell you what you want to hear at this moment. Um, but there's no, there's no long-term intention behind this. You know, um, 
so when Donald Trump says, I'm going to build a wall, well, he's not going to build a wall. You know, I mean, you know it is complete and utter nonsense from the beginning but can't to the he end. Build, can't he build, like, a metaphorical wall, can't he? I mean, can't he make it extraordinarily difficult for people? But it's not just people from Mexico, because what happens is people from Costa Rica and all sorts of places further south work their way up through Mexico and across the border. And it's, it's porous. We know that, because any border is porous, because it's pretty hard. Hard, um, to police it, but um, he, he could make it more difficult. Uh, but uh, I mean, just as we speak, the Hungarians and the Serbians and uh, uh, the Macedonians—they're all built in walls. Yeah, I mean, you, you can you can you can say you know uh, you can talk about metaphorical walls, but that's not what Trump is saying. You know, so he's not saying I'm going to build a metaphorical wall and the Mexicans are going to pay for it. Um, who who pays for a metaphorical wall? I, right. I don't know. Okay. Right. So 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 what the, the the point I'm making is right that you have these ludicrous statements that that are that are made that, that and the, people get upset about them and, and you know maybe quite rightly they sometimes miss the point that there is zero percent chance that even if Trump is elected president, that he's going to build a wall on right. the border. So you have this kind of empty rhetoric which holds out to people the idea that there are these kind of cheap, easy, or direct solutions to what are actually very profound problems. But the 1930s were like that. I mean, Germany classically. I mean, where uh, the, 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 Nazis, the Nazi party said, you know, we'll fix the Treaty of Versailles. We were badly dealt with. And uh, it was mostly Jews that did it anyway. Um, so we're going to fix that. Um, there has always been, politics has always been a strange trade. Like it's, it's always been about getting elected. So it's what you say gets you elected. Um, most of what Obama said in order to get elected, he hasn't done. Well, Obama had serious intentions and, and did some serious things. And, I, you know, the, the amount of hope that was invested in Obama was always going to be, you know, completely out of proportion with what he could actually achieve, particularly with the Republican Congress, which has been extraordinarily um, negative and, and blocked everything. But Obama actually did bring tens of millions of people into the healthcare system who hadn't been in it before. Obama did a, um, a, a, an economic uh, stimulus program which stopped America from, and maybe the world from going into a very, very deep recession. So he had intentions to do things and he tried to do them. You, you can argue about whether they were the right things or the wrong things. What I'm saying is that, that a lot of the Brexit people, for example, people, and we've seen this, George. I mean, look at them. They've walked away. They're not serious people. Now, in some ways we can say this is a good thing and you, you've raised the issue about, say, Germany in the 1930s or Italy in the 1930s or whatever, where the rise of Nazism or fascism, these were serious people, and it's a bad thing. You know? So when Hitler said he wants to exterminate the Jews, he wants to exterminate the Jews. My point is that Boris Johnson didn't believe a single word he said during the Brexit campaign. Uh, you know, these people are jokers. They're, 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 pl they're playing games with, with public anger, uh, and they're, they're sort of, you know, they're, they're titillating the public they're, they're, they're arousing these passions. And then when it comes to it, they just walk away because they were not serious. And I can guarantee you that Trump, whom I know you have a certain affection for, you know, will walk away from all of the things that he's saying. He, but, uh, okay. Because he simply can't do them. You know, uh, they're, they're not serious proposals. They're just sort of rhetorical right. constructs. I love your throwaway remark, uh, with whom I believe you have a sneaky <laughs> regard, George. But, uh, let, but the, the, the thing is that he is the reason he's where he is and the reason 
reason why he might be president of the USA is because he is addressing what, roughly speaking, 40% of Americans feel. So uh, when when Paul Murphy says don't pay water charges, a substantial proportion of the population think that they shouldn't pay water charges. So they do tap in um, to to public concerns and then we the public because you and I are the public too Fenton we believe we we then believe that yeah uh, absolutely so uh, you know I think there is a tendency on the part of some of the old political elites to simply say dismiss all this stuff and say oh it's all just nonsense and it's all just rhetoric and and you know they're, they're just demagogues and so we don't really have to worry about it we'll see them off and things will go on as they were these are symptoms you know, they're really serious symptoms of, a, of an underlying crisis of, of democracy. Um, and it's not the first crisis that democracy has had, absolutely. I'm, I'm not saying that it is, but it's a very profound crisis, and it's a crisis of inequality. The well, no, is- let's take the inequality, because of course you're right. But if we now look at um, Europe, there are, there are a substantial number of countries who effectively can't form a government. I mean, Spain classically have two elections isn't the same thing, but but like the the Portuguese government or Danish government or, and and a ton of governments are in a position where the old uh, systems have gone uh, maybe forever. So what's the new? We're talking new politics. So what's the new government in these countries, or it's included? What's it going to be? Well, you know, it's a, that's a very. Um Urgent question, I think, because we we know what it's going to be if there is not a positive response, right? So, uh, you know, my my fear is that with Brexit, that uh, you know, there are elites in the European Union who'll simply say, "Ah, it's great. Actually, we we want to be rid of the Brits after all. Let them go, and we'll push ahead with our project regardless." And if they do that, then they're going to create a much much bigger crisis than we have at the moment. You know, there has to be an understanding that this is a very, very deep crisis, and and it's a crisis which uh, is is caused by economic inequality, um, and that in turn leads to a crisis of democratic consent. You know, people do not consent to be governed when they believe that the way in which they're being governed is having fundamentally unfair outcomes. You know, democracy in the end, is based on the idea that people feel they get a fair shake, you know? They, they, right. uh, and people are not stupid. They, they don't, they don't, most people okay. don't think that there are miracle cures to everything. They do want to see a process in which they feel that things can get better for them and their families and their communities. And the problem is that there are more and more and more people across Europe, across America, in those communities, I know you've been in some of them, you, 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 you know, you, you, you can see this, it's, it's, it's visible, that there are people for whom life is not only not getting better, but they're actually becoming nostalgic for the 1950s, the 1960s, you know, and th- that is a really dangerous thing where, where, where people feel that life was much, much better in the past. They don't have faith. They don't, they don't have a belief that All the democratic right. systems are capable of, of making life better for them in the future. Well, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Fintan O'Toole, of course, is columnist with the Irish Times. The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Well, a demonstration 
in solidarity with Black Lives Matter in the USA is set to take place tonight on O'Connell Street in Dublin. I'm joined by Farah Mukhtaritia of the Anti-Racism Network. Farah, welcome to the programme. Thank you. And we also have another um, activist with us, Lucky Kambule. And uh, you're both with the Anti-Racism Network, are you? That's right, yeah. All right, Lucky, I didn't know you were coming in. You might tell me why, why, what your involvement is. Okay, my involvement is uh, one of... We, we, as you would uh, understand that this uh, demo is, is both organized by uh, Anti-Racism Network and uh, Movement of Asylum Seekers in Ireland. So we both collaborated in uh, organizing the the demo. So that's uh, based on on that. That's why I'm here. All right. Now, you've got a demonstration in in, in solidarity, Farah, with Black Lives Matter. Um, Black Lives Matter is crucially involved in a situation where people have been shot and policemen have been shot in the USA. Um, you're not seriously suggesting that this country has anything in common with the USA in in relation to uh, black people or uh, foreigners in general, are you? No. No, no, I'm asking you, no. Farah. I'm speaking to you. Farah, I'm speaking to you. Yes, um, I think it actually, there's a lot of crossovers here um, between what is happening in the United States and what's happening in Ireland. Of course, um, if you look at it in an individualized level, um, it's different from what's happening in the United States. But I think in a structural level, it's very much the same. And, and there's a lot of similarities in terms of how people of color, um, especially black people, are, are treated and devalued um, in this society as well as in the United States, for sure. What evidence have you to support that? Um, I think there's lots of evidence to support this, and I think Lucky can speak well. No, to we this. invited you on the program, I have to say, and you brought Lucky with you without reference to me. I mean, I have to say we invited you on the program, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have accepted the invitation if you weren't prepared to be interviewed by me. Oh, we're both definitely prepared. No, no, I, I didn't invite two people on the program. I invited <laughs> you. And you accepted the invitation. Okay. And if you're not prepared to do the interview, we'll call it off now. Um, we're we're happy to speak about um, these issues with you, um, myself and Lucky, and especially Lucky, because I think as um, as uh, as we are outlining here, that I think that part, you know, the the. What we're debating in terms of racism happens in people's individual lives. Is we 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 experience this um, ourselves, and I think Lucky is in a very good position to speak. Well, I'm not in there with respect, with mm. the greatest respect. Mm. We invited you on the program. You accepted it, mm. and you brought a guest in with you that we knew nothing about. That's not, I, I appreciate you're not a radio professional, but that's not how it works. Mm. Uh, you represent the anti-racism network. You you've a march tonight in which you. Are, you are saying you're marching in solidarity with Black Lives Matter in, in the USA, uh, and I'm saying that there is no comparison between a society in Ireland and society in the USA where black people are killed and where uh, other black people shoot policemen. That's a completely different situation from what appertains uh, in Ireland, and, and it's wrong to, to make those kind of comparisons. 
No, uh, all right. Uh, I don't think it's right. Uh, uh, I, I have to say, Farry, you seem incapable actually answering a question. I, I, I so I have to go to Lucky. What is the you. comparison, Lucky, between what happens in Ireland and what happens in the USA? Where, where, first, where people have been shot dead. Firstly, uh, we organized the, the demo in, solid, in solidarity with what is happening in USA, as you, would, uh, you have rightfully said. Uh, with the with the blacks being shot by uh, law enforcers, and <clears throat> we also uh, have seen officers being shot uh, by a black person uh, who is acting or, or was acting on his own accord, not uh, uh, under any organization. And uh, we the, the 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 what where we look we are coming from is. If we you are asking about the connection between that and Ireland, uh, racism is what perpetrates all these things, and we cannot sit here and deny that there, there, there isn't racism here in Ireland, where we have we 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 don't we don't have killings, we don't have a situation whereby police hit or kill people here in Ireland. But it's important that it is highlighted because even before those killings happened in, in, in USA, people didn't think that it will happen. But it is important that we also look into the, proactively look into, uh, raise this, the, the, these points of arguments within society. Uh, you see, I think it's very simplistic to talk like that. I don't know how long you've been in Ireland, but a, 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 an, an enormous number of Irish people marched and refused to go to events in support of the anti-apartheid movement in South Africa. In yes. fact, Kader Asma, yes. um, who was a member of the first ANC government in South Africa, right. was here in Ireland a part of that. Um, in fact, I would put to you that this country has been extraordinarily welcoming to people who have come here. Extraordinarily yes. so. Yes, and I, we never denied that. And I, I appreciate the fact that uh, uh, there the were protests against apartheid and uh, Ireland played a very, very crucial role in, in, in putting pressure on, on, the, on, the old, uh, on the apartheid government to, to end and uh, we are very much aware of of of, of those facts, and uh, which we appreciate. And even uh, a lot of them, not even not, not uh, yes, Kada was uh, instrumental, but a lot of cadres uh, through him came and be friends with uh, with the Irish with the Irish uh, people and the Irish government. I, I have to tell you that I raised a flag in a school in Carrick Tool in Cork uh, just a matter of weeks ago and in that school there were 35 nationalities uh, there were countless faiths uh, there was a, a kaleidoscope of colour uh, right. in a national school in Ireland and that probably goes through our national school system uh, across Ireland and ever turn around and to try and create a situation that in some way this is a racist country is simply wrong. I would also remind you uh, 
uh, that this country has a strong tradition in relation to Jews. And yeah. you may be unaware that the Lord Mayor of Cork, Gerald Goldberg in 1977, the Lord Mayor of Dublin, Ben Briscoe and so on, Ireland has had an extraordinarily strong record in relation to minorities in this country. And it is fair to label this country as a racist country. No, nobody labeled. Yes, they, that's what Farah said. No. She said there's racism in this country. Yeah, there's a difference between saying that there's racism in the country and labeling the country as a racist country, George. And I think you know that. And I think you, you know, I think you, you can recognize structural racism. What um, structural ra- racism? I think Lucky can speak well to that point. Why? All right. Finally, what structural racism? What, Lucky, what, I, what, I, what somebody tell me, what structural what, racism? Okay, you 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 might you might re- you, I don't have to, uh, but uh, there is history with regard to Magdalene Laundries here, which was uh, another state racism that uh, did what 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 everybody knows what happens as far as that is concerned, where people were marginalized and and uh, put away so that people wouldn't see them. Uh, there is what what we call what is evident now is uh, is the, the the putting away of people in 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 in, in senders under direct provision. Oh, let's whereby. take that. Like I have to take. I have to challenge that. There are people in direct provision. There are people who come to this country and ask for asylum in this country, and this country is absolutely entitled to check the credentials of those people uh, who who say that they're seeking asylum on the basis they might be tortured. And just last week, we deported somebody because the High Court did not believe his assertion that he was liable to torture. Right. And we're absolutely entitled to that. And that's why we have courts of law. That's right. And many we, of the countries we, that you object to we, don't have the kind of democracy and le- legal principles that this country has. And we, I'm we, offended that you would come in here and suggest that we are otherwise. No, uh, I, I agree with that. There are courts, there are laws that must be respected. But if, uh, if, if, if you've been to, 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 to the senders whereby people are kept for 10 years and above, with 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 no with no activity at all, and uh, if you say that that is that is right, that is human, that is humane, uh, then that is your opinion. But uh, if you look into even the 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 the, the officials themselves, uh, they've come out to say that it is not fit for purpose, and there have been uh, various uh, in, uh, investigations and uh, research. That has been done to look into how can the system be changed. I'm not challenging the the, the right. legalities of 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 of, of uh, the, the court of laws, but I, I we are we are talking about the, right. the, in, the leaving the people for for okay. for, for for forever there. All right. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. We've run out of time. Uh, Farah Mukhtarita and Lucky from the Anti Racism Network. 
The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie I have two guests next. And I'm delighted to say I knew they were coming, and I know who they are. The first one is journalist, a columnist with the uh, independent newspaper, mother of two, Carol Hunt, Connor Polk, consumer affairs correspondent with the Irish Times, uh, father of two. Welcome to you both and your four kids. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Yeah. Now, I've noticed this in Carol. I'm going to come to you first. I've noticed this in the recent past that my grandchildren are being taken everywhere. They're at every known kind of camp. They're at Irish camp, they're at cricket camp, they're in climbing trees camp, they're in camps for everything. It's, do you have, as a working mother, do you have to do this? I do. I have, at, at the moment, both of my children are in camps. One, my, my 12-year-old is in Poland on a scouting camp and my daughter is in drama camp and um, God forbid that there will be any days when they're not somewhere and I have to actually deal with them being bored in front of me because for some reason children don't act the way they used to do. Well, my age, your age, George, when we'd either play on the street or plonk ourselves in front of the telly. Children now need to be entertained. They no, don't like but being I bored. have to say you wouldn't let them go on the street. Oh, I you would. would. Play you with would, the traffic, no, I say. No, Play you with the would. traffic. Come on now. You're not trying to get elected in Fox Rock now. You, you would not put them on the street because you'd be afraid to be whisked off for the, to the white slave traffic. Well, no, I actually, I might, I mean, and I live in the inner city and my, um, my, my son, my daughter, not so much because she, she's older, she's 15, but my son is 12 and he hangs out with his mates and they go to the park and I, I think that's really good. They bring their bikes, they'll go to the park, they'll play rugby, they'll do all that sort of thing. But unfortunately, during the summer, the summers are so long. Now, I know teachers are exhausted by the time it gets to June and everybody deserves a break. But parents then, summer okay. is su- such hard work for parents. Connor, there's two things here, because as Consumer Affairs Correspondent for the Irish Times, you probably looked into the cost of all this yep. as well, I suspect. But do you concur? Are you are you have your are your kids going to camp every day of the summer holidays? No, because I think kids are entitled to a break during the summer as well. They're entitled to the sleep in and they're entitled to slouch on the couch on a on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. But morning. you're off now, working. No, hang on. No, hang on a second. Ha- having said that, they've been to three. They will go to three camps over the cor- course of the summer. They're going to start. They went. were in Star Camp last week. Uh, they're going to go to a camp, a gymnastics camp, and they're going to go to zoo camp. Now the camps are brilliant. The kids absolutely love them, but. The unfortunate reality is for many parents, we have no choice but to send them to camps because there simply isn't any other option. Uh, Childcare is prohibitively expensive. Parents can't afford to do that. Um, and there's absolutely no state support or infrastructure in place to okay. take care of kids. So you ha- if you have two working parents and your children are suddenly free for 10 or 11 weeks, you have to find some way to accommodate them because unlike the public service, and the public, services, uh, the public service has a hugely beneficial system which allows parents to take two week, two months off during the summer and then spread out and they're, they're unpaid but then they get paid an average uh, salary over the course of the 12 months. So they spread out a 10 month w- salary over 12 months. Uh, in the private sector you have no f- facility for that. Uh, so uh, we, oh, I know, Connor. We have in to the private out. sector we have to make a profit. And, yeah, absolutely and I have no problem working in the private sector I'm delighted to and I hope to work in it for a very yeah. very many years to come but the reality is that we have no option but to spend okay. the guts of a grand and that's how much you're talking about the guts of a grand sending two kids to camps for three weeks in the summertime and you have to bear in mind that thousand euros comes on top of all of the costs associated with sending kids to school it comes on top of all of the after school okay. care costs and 
the reality is the state consistently over many, many years has washed its hands of that cost and says, we don't give a rash. All right, hold well now. Carol, obviously a cheapskate like Conor Pope only sends his children <laughs> to three weeks I'm, in I'm camps. I'm just thinking, a, a grand, you get away with a grand. And you Our send them, through that in a you week. send them to 12 camps pretty well. No, I wish I could afford it, but unfortunately I well, can't. Well, oh, sure I, like no, I want to put the mm-hmm. same question actually to both of you. If, as a peer, they're not actually in camp for the entire summer holiday, what are they doing when they're not a camp? You've only got three camps. What are they doing well, the other there's, weeks? There's a couple of weeks holidays, like summer holidays. Oh, yeah. Where you go. Yeah. Uh, they, they get to spend time with their in-laws, with their grandparents. So there, there are... All, like all parents, you have to juggle what you do with them. Now, and I will take extra time off during the summer and I will look after them myself. Because, and I really enjoy that and I, I wouldn't consider it a burden in the slightest. I love the summertime and I love to, right. get to, to spend more, more time with my kids. It is, it is something that I, I take genuine pleasure from. It's brilliant. But what I'm saying is that parents have no choice but to send their kids to a lot more camps than they would have in the past. Yeah. And the industry has become incredibly it must be a multi-million dollar between 70 and 100 million euro on summer camps alone and and don't get like and you you're you're mocking my three camps but i have to say the zoo camp is it's in dublin zoo it is a hugely oversubscribed camp and it is absolutely brilliant it's fabulous it's a really good camp they get to they get to learn about yeah. the animals and oh, then there's a gymnastics camp there's a star camp where they get to do jazz hands and, 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 and sing well, and dance they're brilliant I thought it was for the kids. astronomy but, but <laughs> the problem is though Cara, if you can't afford it Carol Holt yeah so what about the working parents who can't afford it what do they do with children well, if they can't afford it. Yeah. Well, what happens is, first of all, grandparents, you might have been called in on this. I have to tell are, you, my good news, mm-hmm. I had an eighth grandchild at about 10, 30 years old. Oh, congratulations. congratulations. James Hook. But anyway, yeah, but Wayne, that's very unfair on the grandparents. Absolutely, I agree with you. Grandparents shouldn't have to do that, but they do. And some of them are glad to, but some of them actually, you know, maybe would prefer to be doing other things, enjoying, you know, the summer and themselves, and they don't want the responsibility of children. But unfortunately, Unfortunately, there's so many parents don't have a choice, particularly if you have two um, parents working and if you need two salaries to pay the mortgage, yeah. the overinflated mortgages that we have left over from the, uh, the the years when we thought we had money. And um, so you have t- uh, the two parents working. You have to farm out your children. You'll send them wherever yeah. you can. And then if you if you can't do that, it's always usually the mother then who will have to give up. All right. And stay but there's home. an interesting thing, Connor. I dispute that, by the way. They usually yeah, right. okay. Okay. Go on That's anyway. what the statistics say. You can't argue yeah. with the facts, Connor. Yeah. Statistics Listen, lies down. I have to tell you something. That uh, Irish soccer is now doomed listening to you pair, right? Yeah. Because how did Johnny Giles, Brady and Dunphy learn the soccer skills? Banging it up against the wall, avoiding the motor cars, playing, dribbling around. Now all your and mine, like and mine, all these overprivileged children are going off to these camps where there's no dribbling, hitting the ball off a wall or whatever. So there'll be no soccer skills. Well, funny enough, there's a couple of co- really good value camps that involve just that because <laughs> some, 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 some of the cheapest and best value yeah. camps are, are, are sporting camps. So the GEA cool camps, they're fifty-five euro for a week. There are a lot che- and. Then and they're cheaper if you if you if you want your children to go.
go for a second week or I think we should ch- reframe the argument if they want to go for a second week you yeah. get a discount okay. and then if siblings go it's cheaper again the FAI run, are running a camp and it's like 75 uh, sorry it's uh, 65 euros okay. for kids under 14 and then um, the, or, uh, the IRFU have, have camps that are also really good value for money so the sporting camps are actually mm. where the best value to money to, for but money it, to be found I, but you, I take your point and it's absolutely spot on and one, something Carol said is good too kids today are very bad at being bored mm. now when I was a child being bored was an in- essential and integral part of the summer and that's why we were all plonked in front of, the, in front of Wimbledon for two weeks every summer and we loved it because I lived in a world where there was only RTE one telly and there was nothing else to watch yeah. so we spent our lives out on the streets okay. playing tennis playing football yeah. and look where it got me George but I'm your, still rubbish at football but your <laughs> children and my grandchildren have probably never climbed a tree oh, I no, have to disagree no. with you my children love climbing my, trees my and they're brilliant they climb climbing trees? trees I take yes. them to the park and they climb trees in the park so okay. do my okay. under my okay. terrified right. super we're journalists George we're you not that privileged you can't actually just demolish every argument I put up <laughs> you have to agree every now and again alright I bet you this one I'm going to win this one I bet you your children have never stolen apples. No, they haven't. I don't think but so. But if I, they I, I, stole well, they, apples... They have, they haven't told me about if it. If your children stole apples, you would put them in psychiatric care because you would be terrified that they were going to turn into junior kinahans. Mount Joy next I, up. I, I went, yes. I think no, but you, you would be you afraid. Would, of course, you would be. You, you would because, I mean, we, I often stole apples when I we no, would but go. Uh, but nowadays, isn't that we right? Yes, yes, you would. You'd think that they're gone completely off the, the tracks and, uh, yes, it would be Mount All right, Joy now, next up. despite my vote for you, <laughs> and I, promi- I promised everybody who came in the door, <laughs> Gave no vote, so. <laughs> Thank you, but George. Despite my vote for you, I mean, you did stand for Parliament, and Connor mm-hmm. has just savaged the, 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 the politi- political class. Well, that's one of the reasons why I actually um, yeah, I wanted to, to get yeah. in. It's one of the reasons because I firmly believe that if we had more women um, in uh, in Parliament, that this whole childcare issue would have been sorted out a long time ago, and it wouldn't be seen as childcare as oh, what are we going to do with the kids? It would be integrated education for um, for young people, right? from the time you know they're born right up until they leave college and I can I just mm-hmm. I, I, you've said it again if you had more if we had more women mm-hmm. in, in positions of power we might have a better childcare system and you're probably right uh, and, there's only I, one I, word to describe you on that last basis ask her sir you are you're really just you're just trying to me that, no because I think men have abdicated their responsibility no, this issue no, for far haven't. too long and I we agree. have a, an, an equal role to play in looking after our kids and I think w- men should be stepping up to the place, not just men in positions of power, mm. but all men. It's not no. a woman issue, it's not a gender but, issue, it's a parent issue. But we don't see it like that nationally. It, from the Constitution onwards, it's said that it is a, a woman's problem. Um, fathers aren't mentioned in the Constitution. Um, I, women I, and I, it's o'clock in the morning, <laughs> I'll be driving down Ratmines Main Road with Luke in the back seat taking him to cricket. He wouldn't get to cricket practice if I didn't. Doubt. So don't be giving me this horseman your kind of bulb that men don't do, Anton. And then Friday, don't. I'll be zipping a on Sunday, I had to drive all the way to the hills, which is about a 90 kilometre round trip for a cricket match as well. You know, so don't well, it's, it's long been acknowledged by the nation, George, that you're a new man. Yes. You're very progressive. And, and he is my favourite feminist. I've always said that, George. You are. No, but here's the odd thing, though. 
Both of you want childcare cheaper, right? What do you actually, which I think uh, you, you want a Swedish type idea where instead of Connor Pope or Carla Hunt bringing up the kids, they'll be brought up by some somebody in, in childcare. No, I want a proper system that it will allow parents of either gender go to work if that's what they choose to do with the support of the state to help them look after their children, which is hugely expensive because the children have to be looked after in any event, but you're spending €1,200 Euros on, on a month per child on creches and then after school care can run to hundreds of euros a month and parents simply don't have that money and what they could do with is a little bit bit of support from the state but they haven't got it because frankly the government successive governments have been completely cowardly. Well I'm going to give up broadcasting and start a summer camp because there's much more money in it by all accounts than George Hook summer camp not sure. There will be tree climbing, apple stealing uh, dribbling around obstacles. That's what you're looking for. Well Carol Hunt who I hope will be with us at the next general election in Dunleary at Down. Columnist with independent newspapers Mummer too and the whiz kid from the Irish Times Consumer Department Conor Pope Dad of two The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips MitsubishiMotors.ie Welcome back to The Right Hook with George Hook. Now, the Japanese, of course, uh, have a worsening labour shortage uh, because, just quite simply, there aren't as many Japanese as they used to be, which will mean they're going to have to work until they're at least 80 uh, to keep the economy going. Here in Ireland, of course, we don't have that problem, but we might have it for a different reason because the old age pension it won't be able to support us, or indeed, because of diminishing returns on our savings, we simply have to work for economic reasons, perhaps. Well, uh, to explain it all to me, I'm joined by Peter Cosgrove, Director at CPL Resources. Peter, welcome to the programme. Thank you. Uh, already, the suggestion is we're going to have to, because we're going to live to 100 um, we're going to have to work until we're 70 or whatever. Now, that means surely if if the bank manager is going to be 70, uh, if all these jobs are going to be held down by people in their 70s, there's going to be no promotion pattern for the next generation coming along. I think that's the way it would have been. I don't think it is today. I think firstly... The top 10 jobs in demand today didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago. So some of the jobs around mobile, app developers, YouTube, bloggers, all of those sort of jobs are new jobs. Or renewable energy even. There wasn't much around in 20 okay. years ago. So and there's no 70-year-olds in no, that industry. They're, they're brand new. The, the okay. second thing is, unfortunately, probably for the older workers, uh, it's more in a meritocracy than it ever was before. There was definitely a time where you do your time and you stay in the job for as long as you want. But... Unfortunately, even in the public sector, more and more jobs are going towards three-year contracts and not a job for life. So I don't think anyone can sit in their laurels. And I think the biggest thing everybody just needs to be aware of is you just have to continue to learn because somebody who sat there 20 years ago working on a machine and was very good in that machine needs to realize if that machine is no longer needed because we've better technology, they no longer have the job. 
All right, but there are two things. You know this great law of unintended consequence, for instance? There was this great theory uh, not all that long ago where uh, you you got people to retire at 55 and and, uh, off they went and then there were all these young people. And then they suddenly discovered, Banks are a really good example of this. They had retired all the guys who knew how to lend or whatever and they were left with a cohort of employees who didn't know how to lend, had no experience of lending. Now, if we're going to live until later, we're we're going to have people who know what to do pretty well. They're still, however, going to be suffering the same aches and pains as the 70-year-old. We haven't haven't fixed the aches and pains. Well, well, yeah, you're right in that regard. But I think what we need to realise is they don't all have to work five days a week. What What you just said there is absolutely true. You want them for their advice and their knowledge and that potentially they've been through two recessions before and they actually see the same things that happened yeah. last time will happen again. The same yeah. mistakes that, you know, this is uh, something too good to miss. You've got to get in the housing market. They'll go, I heard that 20 years ago and 40 years ago. But they don't necessarily need to be five days a week. So a lot of them will work more as a consultant and advisory capacity. And companies absolutely need those skills. They absolutely need those skills. Interestingly, the flip side comes for the younger ones where when they're coming up the chain, they need more of the skills around the old school skills of influencing, persuading, that people management skills. Because not only are we competing young and old, we're also competing that some jobs won't be there at all because robots or machines will do them. But the last ones to go are going to be the ones that are people facing. So they're the ones you need to conti- continue to focus on. I remember um, being in America in uh, middle 90s, for instance, and going to the supermarket to buy stuff. And I was taken by the fact that the the people on the cash counters, unlike Irish uh, supermarkets where they're very often students or, or or but certainly young, in America they were all old people, you yeah. know. Um, and I I actually said to somebody, why is this? You know, why are you employing these are all clearly pensioners? And the guy in the supermarket said to me, well, they're the only people who can add and subtract in their head, <laughs> you know. And all skills like mental arithmetic and, and yeah. accuracy of writing and all this sort of stuff could only be found in an older generation. Now, they're going to be different skills of the next older generation. But they are going to have skills that the young generation won't have. Yeah, they will have. But the other thing is, and anyone listening out there as an employer, the reality is if you've got a job and it's two to five years experience, people unfortunately immediately think that's someone in their 20s. But it can still be somebody in their 50s or 60s. And interestingly, the older worker, of a lot of them who want to come back to work, they find it very difficult because firstly, people who are younger do find it a little bit more challenging sometimes managing someone who's older. But if you think about it, they're people who decide they want to work they often don't need the money. They don't want to be promoted. They want to do the job because they want to socialise, they want to meet people, they want to keep the brain active. So they're actually a fantastic worker. But I don't think the Irish uh, employers have come around to that yet. And we probably still try and hire the person who was in their 20s rather than in the 50s. And sometimes we should have a blend. What you're just saying in your beautifully diplomatic way is essentially to say that we are ageist in Ireland. I think every country to some degree has what I would call it an unconscious bias, George, rather than say ageist. Uh, if someone sees two to five years experience, they do jump to it and say, well, that's somebody in their 20s. I don't think everybody does, but I think people do say that. 
All right, but the other thing is that politicians are incredibly fond of, and mm. and and when we had organisations which finished up badly, like FOSS and so on, there was this theory that, you know, a fellow who was formerly a bricklayer now came in and did two weeks in FOSS, and he walked out the door, um, you know, a mobile phone operator mm. or something. That doesn't actually work. That doesn't work. What doesn't work is reskilling someone because there's new jobs out there that they need to have. The only way reskilling works is if somebody wants to do the new job that's out there for them. So if you've no interest in technology, you've never been an interest in computers, there's absolutely no point doing a computer programming degree with the idea that you will get into this area because you'll hate it from the moment you do it. The first place to start is what you like. Now, I know that can be difficult for some people. What are your interests? But you've got to start by focusing people on skills that are similar. So a lot of people in architecture actually went into IT design. So they're now architecting for the computer industry because actually that's a similar enough skill set even though it feels different. One's houses, one's computers right. but it's the same design brain. But you see what I'm worried about all right, is I, I do a lot of selfies right, okay, yeah. with people. Now it, it, that's fine if it's young people right? Mm-hmm. but but suddenly um, an older person would say can I have a photograph and let's say it's the wife yeah. right, or the husband and then they'll say to the wife husband uh, they'll say will you take the photograph and then this other person who is not, I'm not talking about 80, 90 year olds yeah. here um, I'm talking of people who are sub old age pensioner and they don't know how to take a photograph with a mobile phone so isn't there a real danger at the pace of um uh, transition that old people just haven't won't be able to reskill, retrain. Let me give you an example. Okay. It, Fifty years ago, which is in my working lifetime, yeah. fifty years ago there was no such thing as a machine in an office that multiplied and divide. No yeah. such thing. It only added and subtracted. And now, look at look at what you can do yeah, 50 no, years later. I, I think, George, it's a state of mind. Uh, everybody remembers the first time they had to text message or email on their phone, and now they're taking photos, now they're creating videos. I create videos on my phone, and I didn't know how to do it ah, a year ago. But you're a kid, No, no, no. But, no, I mean, but okay, well, are. I tell you what, Snapchat is for the, people would say, the 12 to 24-year-olds. I right. learned how to use it with my daughter, and I, I found it new. I didn't know how it worked. But you just try these things. And I think what happens is, if you're older in the workplace, I mean, this is the thing. If you went into a company and you were, say, 50 plus, and you said to them, oh, I was looking at your profile on Twitter, the person on the other side actually is so much more positively focused. You're like, wow, you, you're on Twitter. So you actually get the benefit that they think that you're a technophobe and actually you're not. So right. I think the focus is you, you need to actually continue to reskill yourself because it does impress people from that regard. But the one thing, and you must like at CPL, um, you, you know, your recruitment consultants, this is your daily grind. Yeah. Like The thing is, if, if you walk in and you're 50 years of age and you're applying for a job, in Ireland, and it may well be everywhere else, the reaction is suspicious. Like the reaction is, why is this 50-year-old applying for a job? Why is this 50-year-old particularly applying for a job when I just said in the thing two to five years' experience? They're all not as, with respect, as, as, uh, 
as forgiving yeah. as you are. George, I'm not going to disagree, but I'm also going to say that if you're tall, if you're small, if you're black, if you're white, if you're male, if you're female, people will have an initial view on you whether they like it or not. It's a bias we all have. The only thing you can say is you can change their mind very, very quickly. And that first two minutes is the time to actually change them so they're positively disposed towards you because everyone's going to give you a few minutes and that's your time to actually do that, to give yourself that better chance I, at the interview. I tell you this much. When you're talking about reskilling, the greatest reskilling required by older people is interview training because they're going to be looking for jobs now and they may not have interviewed for a long time. And what they need now, you you said, first yeah. two minutes, if they haven't cracked it in two minutes, they're gone. Yeah. So what they need is interview training. I agree with you on that. Absolutely. You and I should do that. Yeah, we'll do, we'll do a slot on that, George. No problem. <laughs> Peter Cosgrove of uh, CPL Resources, where, of course, he is a director. Let me let me have a, an idea how you're thinking to 531 The Right Hook with the new Mitsubishi Outlander 7-seater automatic with sporty paddle shifters for super smooth gear changes at your fingertips. MitsubishiMotors.ie Welcome back uh, to The Right Hook on News Talk with me, George Hook, President Obama and uh, Vice President Joe Biden and former President George W. Bush are all in uh, Dallas, Texas, where an interfaith service will be taking place to say goodbye to the five police officers killed by uh, Micah Johnson, who has since been dubbed the Dallas Sniper. Um, I'm joined now by an Irish police officer working in Washington, D.C., Mark Kerwin. Mark, welcome to the programme. Thanks, George. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we've talked to you many times on the programme before. What's the feeling amongst policemen and women in America now following this? There's a, a feeling of enormous frustration, anger. Um, you know, I think that the general feeling in every police department is we're a target. And in general, the public and the press have painted us all with the same brush. Uh, so there's, there's definitely uh, anger and frustration there with, with the current uh, politicians and also what the press is, is saying on a daily basis. Now, um Obama has said that his words were, we are not a divided nation. Uh, somebody, you know, I visit the U.S. a lot. I would think it is a divided nation. Well, how do you react to that remark? I, I think it is also, George. I think there's, uh, there's a great deal of racial divide. I think that uh, certain groups like Black Lives Matter have an entity within the group uh, that do not want a peaceful means uh, or a structured approach to resolving the racial issues and divides in the U.S. So I, I think there is a, a, that fraction within these groups that are purely there to cause trouble and stir up a lot more tensions. I mean, that is really surprising given that essentially Martin Luther King brought the black people to a state place in America they, they had never been without firing a shot. Uh, it, it is... It's sad in a way for whatever reason that now violence has entered into that. But if you take the race out of it, because although it's sort of white cop, 
uh, shoots black innocent person, uh, the policemen have been Latino or his or or Asian or whatever, not necessarily white at all. Well, well, to this day, George, uh, you know, a couple of days after the shootings between Minnesota and Baton Rouge, the press are still reporting white police officer kills black male. So there's that inaccurate reporting, which which is just angering all these people who who feel that, um, as some people would put it, that police officers are trigger happy. But an example of that would be today, um, early this morning, uh, my own police department and several of my own fellow officers were ambushed by five shooters when they uh, responded to a call in a bad area of the city and five individuals started shooting at them randomly. You almost talked about it routinely, it, like you didn't sound shocked or whatever. Well, we, we've uh, to date we have 68 homicides in Washington, D.C. And as you know yourself, George, you're looking at a 68-square-mile city uh, we're meant to have a police department of 4,500, but we only have 3,700. Main reason for that is people don't want to join the police department anymore. Um, you know, between the, the salary and the current environment, people are, don't want to sign up to be an officer who may get involved in something and then lose their house and everything they've ever earned due to a lawsuit. Because a lawsuit can be brought against them personally as opposed to against the, the, the police force. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You know, and you so, don't have a protection. You're not protected by the fact that you're a police officer then. There, you are protected from, by the Fraternal Order of Police. You are, you are provided a labor union uh, rep who will actually go in and there will be a, a legal representation for you. But you can also be, be sued uh, personally. Um, by whoever they, whoever wants to. So there is always that fear. And the problem nowadays is that officers, certain officers, won't be as willing to arrest or detain people in certain areas of the city. And I, I mean, I've talked to other fellow officers about this, and we call it the Ferguson effect, because basically some people just don't want to go in and do their job because for fear of being tarnished, uh, and branded with the same as some some bad eggs were in the in the departments throughout the country, you know. Now on that issue, we are talking about a country with a gun culture. So when I meet you in Washington D.C. and you're in uniform, like there's a gun on your hip. Now you talk about the attitude of people to American policemen. Like you're Irish as well. Do you think we have a better attitude to the Gardaí than Americans have to their police force? I think it's changed completely, George. I know when, when I was growing up in Ross Gray, um, you had uh, admiration and respect for the guards who walked the street. And if any of them said anything to you, you more or less listened. I think it's this day and age, it's the generation. A lot of people who were brought up with a silver spoon in their mouth and they don't have the respect or they haven't earned the respect or been taught it by maybe parents, I don't know. but. To give you an example, I mean, I'm a police officer. I was pulled over only three weeks ago uh, when I was outside my jurisdiction, driving my own vehicle, and instantly when I was pulled over, I put my hands on the steering wheel, and when the officer approached, I let the officer know that I was armed, and I let him know that I was law enforcement. And I did that for his safety, for respect of him, and so that both of us would be safe in that environment. 
Yeah, I mean, this always worried me in America when I was pulled over, that the American policeman expects the person he's pulled over to be armed. So therefore, he approaches the window in what is in essence, I I think, a confrontational way. And he says, although he says it quite respectfully, Please, sir, put your hands on the steering wheel or whatever. But I always feel threatened by a policeman in America in a way that obviously I've never feel threatened by a guardee because the guardee is the guarda is unarmed. I'm, I'm sure there's several people who feel the same way, George. But um, you know, traffic stops themselves are second only to a domestic uh, call, where where the the uh, I suppose the the highest threat level would be from domestic calling and secondly from a traffic stop. You, you never know what you're going to come across. And some people do panic. Some people are nervous of the fact that we carry weapons. But as you said yourself, we're, you know, we are a good nation. And some states are very liberal. I mean, if you look at the shooting in Texas, uh, in Dallas, uh, three people were detained because they were wearing bulletproof vests and carrying a, a rifle with a sling over and we're in combat here, and they were actually civilians who were, you know, um, out there at the protest, and the police had to detain them uh, so that they could see if they were actually part of the shooting team that assassinated the officers, and they were just regular citizens. So when you come sorry, across... Mark. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm speaking to Mark Kerwin, police officer in Washington D.C. But of course, as you guess from the accent, distinctly Irish. Are you telling me that there's a protest in 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 Dallas, and there's three guys marching in the protest with bulletproof vests, combat gear, and a rifle slung over their shoulder? Yeah, that's correct, George. Yeah, and that's due to the fact that Texas has got very lax laws when it comes to. Um, to firearms, and it was their Second Amendment, their right to carry and bear arms. Um, so the, the police had to basically distinguish between them and potential shooters. Uh, and there's no way you can distinguish. So why did you become a police officer? Uh, I, I always had a love for it. Um, you know, I, it's, it's something I wanted to do, and I believe that, you know, there's the majority of people that I work with... Um, love to help people it's it's not a thing about having a gun or a badge um you know i i hope i never have to use my gun and there's a lot of people who i know who work with me who feel it feel the same way so we're not all trigger happy um it was it was my way of i suppose uh contributing to society and um you know establishing myself in the community in dc All right. Thank you so much for joining me. That's uh, Mark Kerwin, a police officer in Washington, D.C. And, of course, as you heard, uh, very, very Irish. An extraordinary time in America, but with their gun laws, as you heard Mark elucidate, uh, this isn't a problem that's going to go away any time soon. Your thoughts to 53106, cost 30 cents.